Coronavirus starts to dip in Arizona, Florida, and Texas while members of government consider new lockdowns. Anarchists finally begin burning books in Portland, and President Trump goes after TikTok. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. My savvy fans secure their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, I have to note that there's something that's very weird going on in this country and in media, and that is the sense that things are constantly getting worse with regard to COVID when the evidence that things are getting worse with regard to COVID really is not spectacular. And what I mean by that is obviously we've seen more deaths over the past month. There's just no question. I mean, we've seen more infections over the past month. But as a percentage of infection, deaths continue to decline. As a, as a running tab in terms of hospitalizations, deaths continue to decline. Hospitalizations have started to decline in places like Arizona, Florida, and Texas. And it is also worthy of note that other countries are now experiencing unrest in the streets over lockdown. So all of the talk about how in the United States it's all red state, blue state kind of stuff, only these evil conservatives want to stop the lockdowns and reopen the economy. They are literally having mass protests in the streets of Berlin over the lockdown. In Israel, they've had mass protests in the streets over everything from unemployment to lockdown, specifically targeted lockdown against religious communities is one of the imprecations. This sort of stuff has been happening all over the world because it turns out that when you lock hundreds of millions of people indoor for months on end and tell them that in order to be safe from a virus that largely kills people who are above the age of 80, most people who are young are not going to abide by that. And most people who are young are going to start going out again. They're going to start participating in everyday life again. And let's be real about this. They probably should. If you're 20 years old, there is no reason for you to stay home other than you're afraid that you're going to infect grandma. That's pretty much it. And that means that when you visit grandma, grandma should wear a mask and you should wear a mask and you should socially distance. And that's all. And the, the notion that large numbers of young people are in danger from this or dying from this, it is not statistically true. And I, I get the sense that there is this real gap in the American level of panic about this thing and the actual facts on the ground about how deadly this thing is. I think that if you ask regular everyday Americans, how many people out of a thousand who get COVID do you think are going to die of this thing? The average American would probably tell you out of a, out of 100 people, 10 will die. Out of 1,000 people, 50 to 100 will die. And that's not true. That is not true. If you are under the age of 25, you are not dying from this, statistically speaking. Okay, if you are under the age of 55, you are almost certainly not dying of this, statistically speaking. In fact, in the United States, we've seen something on the order of 150,000 deaths. When you break it down by group, I was talking with somebody who was actually a member of the group that wrote the CDC guidelines over, over the Shabbat weekend. And, and this guy was saying, that the average age of death in the United States from COVID, and this is true according to the CDC, the average age, average, is 80. Which means that half of the people who have died of this are above the age of 80. Half. Okay, and the truth is that nearly everybody who has died of this is above the age of 70. Okay, the, the CDC puts out these stats regularly. And here are the stats that are the latest stats. This is from late July in terms of absolute number of deaths by age group in the United States. And this would be out of a total of some 100,000 deaths that, that were reported to the CDC as of like mid-July, because there's been, again, this uptick over the past few months, and there's late reporting. Okay, so this is out of maybe 100,000 deaths that were reported to the CDC as of mid to, mid to late July. Okay, if you're under the age of 25, out of those 100,000 deaths, there have been 1,236 deaths. Okay, if you're under the age of 25, in a population that probably has... 100 million people under the age of 25. There have been a grand total of 14 deaths below the age of five. There have been a grand total of 23 deaths below the age of 15. 
And so we are not talking about large numbers of young people who are getting this and dying of this. Nor are we talking about large numbers of young people between the ages of 25 and 34 who are dying of this. There have been a grand total of, again, according to the CDC, and there's out of about 100,000 deaths that were reported as of mid-July. There were 200 deaths, age 25 to 34. And when you look at the curves from the CDC in terms of actual numbers of overall death in these age groups, COVID represents an extraordinarily small percentage of the overall number of deaths in these age groups, which is why if you look at the flu, you should be, if you're a parent, you should be much more scared of your kid getting the flu than you should about your kid getting COVID. No doubt. And without a doubt, like you're, you're 16 to 20 times as likely to die from the flu if you're under the age of five than you are to die of COVID, which again, should not be a surprise. We've known this for a long time. And this is why it's so maddening when you see our experts say things like, well, you know, it's true that mostly old people are getting this, but it could happen to anybody. Statistically speaking, it really can't. Statistically speaking, the, the people who are dying of this are generally older, which means you protect those populations. And then if you wish to reach anything like herd immunity, what you actually want, what you actually want is not to shut down the spread. You want young, healthy people to actually get it over time if you want to reach herd immunity. And I know herd immunity became this sort of bad term that you're not allowed to use anymore because we're all supposed to sit around waiting for the vaccine. But that was always, that, that was always a, a foolish notion that herd immunity was completely off the table especially because, again, we can look back at, at Sweden. There's a lot of talk about Sweden was going for herd immunity. Look how badly they did it. Okay, Sweden never locked down. Sweden actually saw a GDP growth in their last quarter. And, and Sweden now has a declining level of cases and nearly no death. Why? Well, because it turns out that the immunity to the herd immunity rates to this thing may not, in fact, be 70 or 80 percent as originally supposed. It may be as low as 20 or 30 percent because it is possible that a lot of people have T-cell immunity meaning that if you had a cold in the recent past, you have a certain level of immunity already built up to COVID. It, it is maddening when you hear experts say things. I mean, and Anthony Fauci will say stuff like this on national TV. He'll say, well, well, it's true that this is mostly affecting older people. Young people can be hurt by this too. Okay, well, well, it is true that death mostly affects older people. Death can affect younger people too. There are lots of things in life that also affect younger people. Irritable bowel syndrome affects younger people. It is also much more prevalent among the elderly. The question is not, can a bad thing happen to you? The question is, what are the chances of the bad thing happening to you? And that is the thing that we should be focused on, but nobody seems to be focused on that right now. There's a Swiss study of seroprevalence trying to figure out what exactly the infection fatality rate was of COVID by age. And what it showed is that if you are under the age of 10, you're basically more likely to be struck by lightning than to die of COVID. If you are, be if you are below the age of 20, same thing is true. Even if you are looking at the generalized overall COVID death rates, the, the infection fatality rate. So the CDC is now estimating that the infection fatality rate could be anywhere from 0.2 to 0.6, which is something I've been saying for literally months, pretty much since this started. Even if you take the upper end estimate, 0.6, I think people don't understand what that means. That means if, if 1,000 people get COVID, 994 of them will live. Now, that does not necessarily mean that everybody who lives is going to be completely undamaged by it. But we don't actually have the data on how many people are damaged or what the damage looks like. So instead, we see these anecdotal horror stories of people who have zero lung function, or we hear these kind of vague statements that people will have heart damage, but we don't know how much heart damage. Okay, that's panic porn. It is. If you don't have hard data, that's panic porn. And panic porn sells papers, and it, and it moves clicks. But panic porn is not good for your brain, and it ain't good for your soul, and it doesn't allow you to, to calculate on an everyday level what sort of risks you should be taking as a responsible human being. Frankly, it is maddening that we have continued to act as though this thing is equally deadly for all age groups and that everybody should be treated equally in the population in terms of lockdown. It doesn't make any sense at all, like none. Again, the, the fact is that this is disproportionately affecting elderly people because elderly people have more 
underlying conditions and are more likely, likely to die, period. And the, the fact is that if you look at death from all causes among people who are above the age of 85, death of all causes between essentially July, uh, between, between January, between, sorry, February 1st and July 25th, death of all causes. If you're over the age of 85, 467,000 people died in that period above the age of 85 in this country and 44,000 of them died of COVID. Hey, what does that mean? It means a lot of people died of COVID above the age of 85, like a lot. In fact, that's the single largest population group in terms of who died from COVID is people above the age of 85. Out of the 6.5 million Americans who are in that age group, some 44,000 people died in that age group. And it is by far, by a plurality, the largest age group for death. That doesn't mean that each one of those deaths isn't a tragedy. It means that when you're trying to figure out who goes back to work, 85-year-olds are not the ones who are staffing the workplace. Now, again, if you've got underlying conditions, if you've got obesity or diabetes, then maybe you should think about distancing and wearing a mask and, and doing all the things that you should do. But if you're younger, I think that all the talk about how we can never talk herd immunity, we can never, like, I don't know what everybody's plan is. I'm not hearing a plan. And if the plan is wait for a vaccine, that plan has some holes in it. It has some serious holes in it. Okay, so in a second, we're going to talk about the wait for a vaccine plan. We're also going to talk about what's happening in Arizona, Florida, and Texas, where we were hearing doom and gloom. Everyone was going to die. And it got pretty bad in terms of the deaths per day in places like Florida, Arizona, and Texas. And now they've hit the downslope. We'll talk about also how this does not correlate with lockdown. It doesn't. Okay, the notion that lockdown saved these states, California never stopped locking down. And California has had the latest peak of any of these states. It turns out these states were not experiencing a second wave. They never experienced a first wave. They were just experiencing the first wave. And now the question is, if there even will be a second wave, depending on how many people actually got this. So the panic, is this a moral panic at this point? It may well be. That doesn't mean it ain't dangerous. It doesn't mean it ain't real. It's dangerous. It's real. You should take precautions to make sure that people who are vulnerable don't get it. But we are now making risk calculations not based on any hard data. We are making risk calculations based on the panic porn put out there by the media. And yes, by some public health experts whose literal job, like a lawyer, you know, I've been, a, I've acted as a lawyer. Your job as a lawyer is risk mitigation. You go to your client, you say, here are all the risks, right, in your business. And we need to take care of all of those risks. If you are a quote unquote health policy expert, your job is to mitigate risk to human life. And if that means scaring people, then you scare people. And if it means kind of overstating the case a little bit, then you do that too. But you are never asked to take into account the countervailing problems with locking down entire societies, which we'll discuss in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that right now you're paying too much for your wireless. Now, can you really afford to pay too much for your Can you afford to pay too much for anything right now? The answer, of course, is no. Who is your wireless provider, by the way? AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. What if I told you Pure Talk USA uses the exact same network as one of those carriers, the same towers, the same exact coverage, but literally costs you half. How do they make it so affordable? Well, there are no retail stores, so there's low overhead. You're not funding their billion-dollar ad campaigns. You're only paying for the data you need. There's no contract, no excessive fees. You'll enjoy unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. That's correct. The average person is saving $400 a year on their wireless bill. So grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you get this screaming deal and save 50% off your first month. Again, that's pound 250. Say keyword Ben Shapiro. There is no reason to waste money on gigs of data you ain't using. There is no reason why you should be spending like up to twice as much on your cell phone bill when you could be spending half as much using Pure Talk. Dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. And when you get that, when you do that, you get an amazing deal and you save 50% off your very first month. You're talking about unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data all for just $20 a month. The average person saving 400 bucks a year on their wireless bill by using 
Pure Talk, pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro to make the magic happen for you. Okay, so again, all we heard for literally months was Arizona, Florida, Texas, we're all going to die. It is just as, it's like New York. It's like 12 New Yorks. It's a bunch of New Yorks all over the place. The hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. Well, now it seems that that is simply not the case. It seems that we may be looking at the, at the basically the, the end of this thing in Florida and Arizona and Texas, at least for the moment. You know, we don't know what's going to happen come the fall. But again, it's hard to see how the spread is going to be much more dramatic than it just was in Florida, Arizona, and Texas. So here is a chart. Okay, the chart shows you what happened in New York versus what happens in Arizona, Florida, and Texas combined. Anybody who compared these places is being an idiot. That solid line right there is the number of deaths. You can see a blue solid line for New York, and it goes sky high, sky high, all the way up to number of deaths per day per million. New York went up to like 40 deaths per day per million in the state. Arizona, Florida, and Texas combined never went above 10. Never. Okay, so it was never like New York. It was never like New York. You can see New York just got overwhelmed. New York got hit really hard. And more than anything, New York did not protect its elderly homes. And that meant a lot of elderly people died. Because guess what? Elderly people are the people who are mostly dying from this. Again, the number of Americans who have died of this disease total under the age of 55 in the United States, at least as reported as of mid-July by the CDC, under 11,000 out of 100,000. And this is, this is a disease that is mostly killing elderly people. That does not mean it's not dangerous. It doesn't mean don't be careful for the thousandth time. Okay, so Florida and Arizona and Texas, you've also started to see the cases come down. You go back to that other chart for a second. You can see the dotted line. There's a red dotted line. And what the red dotted line shows is cases. So you can see New York spiked. It looks exactly like the curve you didn't want. So New York spiked. It spiked in terms of cases and spiked in terms of death. And then you can see on that red dotted line, Arizona, Florida, and Texas, they spiked in terms of cases. And they kind of gradually rose in terms of death. And now, presumably, all of this will start to recede as the trailing indicator that is death, you know, goes up a little bit and then it'll start to come down again. This is all courtesy of covidtracking.com. And then you can look at the, at the second wave up. You can also look at when you compare cases and deaths on the same scale and access. So the, here is the media telling you, you know, exactly how bad things were going to be in terms of cases and deaths, you can see the deaths remained extraordinarily low throughout, right? They have remained very, very low throughout. The cases created this huge mountain of cases, mainly identified cases. Lots of asymptomatics were being identified here. Lots of cases that were not particularly dangerous. And I think here we should note that there is this weird tendency out there to think that if a person who's 30 gets COVID and then recovers from it, something bad just happened. If a person got COVID and they're 30 and they recovered from it and they're not harmed by it, an extraordinarily good thing happened, not just for the person, not just because they're Superman and can walk around, but also because that person is no longer capable of carrying the disease. The way that you approach herd immunity is by making people not able to carry around the disease, not to be vectors of transmission. Now, you can see here, by the way, on this chart, again, courtesy of covidtracking.com from Yunon and Weiss, who does a great job putting these charts together. You can see exactly how the lockdowns had no effect in Arizona, Florida, and Texas. And then as soon as the protests began, you can see the thing, the thing starts to starts to spike, right? The lockdowns kicked in late March. Okay, the, the case load had already started to rise a little bit. It basically was flat. Then the reopenings happened at the beginning of May. It completely stayed flat. Then the protests happened at the end of May. And then literally two weeks later, the number of cases starts climbing. So for all of this talk about how the protests did nothing, it turns out that that also was not true. Also worth noting, there are certain states that never reopened and they're having spikes in cases. Hey, Hawaii had 
a huge spike in number of COVID cases per day per million. Hawaii, okay, they, they've shut down travel. You literally cannot vacation in Hawaii. And Hawaii is at, it's an island in the middle of nowhere. They've had huge spikes. You're starting to see spikes in Alaska. It turns out that basically everybody's going to get hit by this. And the only thing you can do is protect the vulnerable, which by the way, was the recommendation in terms of policy that I've been putting out there for, for literally months. I mean, I had a full episode devoted to the idea of what two Israeli scientists called controlled avalanche early on. Their suggestion was, if you're going to approach herd immunity, the way you approach herd immunity is you actually want people who are younger to get it and not pass it to older people. If you're a part of a non-vulnerable population, it is a very good thing for you to have it. Not on a personal level, obviously, nobody wants to get sick, but in terms of approaching herd immunity, just in the same way that a vaccine, look, you may never get the disease that you get the vaccine for. The vaccine is an attempt to prevent you from becoming a vector of transmission for that disease. And that's why people have vaccinations. The same thing holds true when it comes to herd immunity and getting something like COVID. This doesn't mean you should willy-nilly go out and have COVID parties because, again, we don't know all the risks at this point. But here's the reality of it. As this thing makes its way through the population, there's no way to stop it. And anyone who is telling you that there is a clear, obvious way to stop it is wrong. Japan is seeing a spike in cases right now. Japan has extraordinarily high levels of both masking and of social and, and of social listening, you know, people who obey the, the rules, basically. And they're seeing spikes, too. So what that means is if you actually want to have at any point something approaching herd immunity, how about this? How about we tranche back in the populations that are most healthy and we protect the populations that are least healthy? And you know what that would include? Opening the schools. You know who are the healthiest populations? Kids. So if kids all get this and pass it to each other and don't kill their parents, which, by the way, we have not seen a lot of evidence of transmission from kids to parents. There's one lab study that came out over the weekend suggesting that kids can pass it and, and, and have the ability to pass it, but... There are studies in Switzerland and Iceland and Australia and, and Sweden suggesting kids are really not passing this thing very much. Okay, then schools are actually a great way of taking an entire population off the table as carriers of the disease with the ability to pass it. It's not a bad thing. Meanwhile, the experts continue to, to act as though panic is warranted. Concern is always warranted. Concern is always warranted. But panic is not warranted. And they're putting out not great information. So, for example, Dr. Fauci, who again... I think he's doing the best he can. I think the man is an American hero for his work on HIV. I also think that his assessment of the situation throughout has been dicey. I think he has made mistakes for sure. And I think that the fact that, that Fauci will say things like, we need to lock down harder while simultaneously refusing to answer questions about protests that probably seeded huge increases in places like California. There, there's something overtly political to that. Anyway, here is Anthony Fauci late last week, testifying before Congress and saying, our big problem in the United States is we didn't lock down harder like Europe. If you look at what happened in Europe when they shut down or locked down or went to shelter in place, however you want to describe it, they really did it to the tune of about 95 plus percent of the country did that. When you actually look at what we did, even though we shut down, even though it created a great deal of difficulty, we really functionally shut down only about 50% in the sense of the totality of the country. Okay, but most of the country didn't have caseloads like this. And by the way, he happens not to be right about this. Like on an actual level, he happens not to be right about this. The United States, the United States shut down about the same level in terms of voluntary social distancing as Germany. Apple does this thing they call mobility trends, right? Mobility trends are basically, they, they use their data to track how people are making routing requests, like how much people are moving. Okay, so here is what Germany's chart looks like. 
So what you've seen is that in April, in, in late March, basically, all of their numbers on walking, driving, transit plunged by more than 60%. And now they're back above sort of baseline. They've increased since April. And they, since, since April, they've increased their walking about 63%. They're driving about 59%. They're transit about 36%. Okay, now let's look at the United States' chart. Why look at that? It looks almost identical. Oh, goodness. It looks as though the United States plunged almost about 60% and then has climbed back up 54% driving, 45% walking, and 46% transit. So um, where's the giant difference exactly? Like, where's the, Alex Berenson gets credit for that one. It's a good, it's a good call by him. The, the, the notion that we, have, that we didn't lock down here is just not true. I lived in L.A. the whole time. We locked down hard. We locked down as hard as Germany. The difference between the United States and Germany is not the level of lockdown. The difference between the United States and Germany is that this thing was not seeded all that heavily in Germany. It was very heavily seeded in the United States by early March. The first cases known in the United States were happening by late January, which is why once it exploded in New York, it really exploded in New York. And so again, the, the experts, a lot of the things the experts are saying here just do not seem to jibe with the, with the scientific reality. And again, you have to ask which experts, because there are plenty of experts who disagree with the idea that lockdowns are the be all end all here. And if we ever hope to come out of this thing, I think that this pipe dream that we're going to lock down until there's a vaccine, I don't know what anybody's talking about. We were told flatten the curve. The curve has been flattened. You know what didn't get overwhelmed? The hospitals in Florida or Arizona or Texas, or by the way, California. So last week I was feeling sick. I went over to get a COVID test in California. I walked in, went to the UCLA hospital. Within two and a half hours, they had my test results. The ER was completely empty. Completely empty. They were not being threatened in terms of ICU. Over I mean, I asked the nurses, are you being threatened in terms of ICU? Over By the way, thank God I am COVID negative. And I say, thank God, not because I was experiencing heavy symptoms or anything, but because my parents who are in their 60s were very careful about this stuff, right? I didn't want to be COVID positive because then I would have had to isolate and all of that. So here's the rule, okay, guys? If you have it, go isolate if you are near elderly people particularly, but generally because you don't want this thing passing willy-nilly throughout society in ways that you can't control. Two, Young people should go back to work. Young people should, who are healthy, young people should go back to work. And this is why the conversation happening about schools right now is not in any way related to reality. Wear the masks, socially distance, try not to pass this thing because realistically speaking, what you don't want is what you call sort of an epidemic overhang, where if you hit herd immunity at, let's say, 30%, it moves so fast through the population, it takes out 35% of the population without it moving slowly. You kind of want to slowly approach herd immunity. But the notion that we're going to lock down forever, like even in Germany, they're looking at this going, no, we're not. France has said we're not relocking down. So I don't know what the hell we're talking about here. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you need more sleep. I need more sleep. So let me tell you, over the weekend, my uh, sister-in-law got married. It was beautiful. And we, uh, we had an event over the weekend. It was socially distance, mass, the whole deal. This necessitated that I sleep in a bed, not my own, because we had to spend Shabbat in a different part of Los Angeles. This meant I was not on my Helix Sleep mattress. If I look haggard and horrible to you, it is because I was not on my Helix Sleep mattress. That Helix Sleep mattress is unbelievable. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or from bed, with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. 
Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders right now just for my listeners. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Helixsleep.com slash Ben for up to $200 off. Okay, so when there are people that I've had on this show who I consider to be experts on all of this, who I think are just scaring the living hell out of people, and I don't know what they are saying is, is supremely useful. So Dr. Deborah Burks, over the weekend, she did a bunch of interviews. This is after Nancy Pelosi ripped her up and down for apparently being some sort of Trump stooge, which is just insane. Nancy Pelosi has the, has the amount of information in that brain could fit probably on the head of a pin, uh, almost certainly inside the brain of an at. In any case, here was Dr. Deborah Burks explaining that the virus is extraordinarily widespread. But I want to be very clear. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. It's into the rural as equal urban areas. And to everybody who lives in a rural area, you are not immune or protected from this virus. Nobody is saying that anybody is protected from this virus. Nobody is saying that anybody's protected from this virus. But the sort of like panic that you're all going to die if you get the virus and that the virus is going to kill you if you're young and you're healthy. So you got to stay out of school. This is what's leading to the insanity of teachers in Iowa sending the governor of Iowa their own obituaries, their obituaries, saying that they're going to die if they go back to school. The data on this is extraordinarily lacking. Canada has been sending people back to school. Sweden never shut down its schools, is my understanding. The only case that we know of in which there was an outbreak at a school was in Israel, and we still don't know whether the kids were passing it to the adults. And also, there's a difference between kids under the age of 10 and kids over the age of 10. This is something that we know. And Dr. Deborah Brooks also says, maybe you should wear a mask at home. Now, again, I'm not going to disagree that if you've got an elderly person in the home or somebody you think is vulnerable, they should. So my kids are going to camp now. They're going to camp because they're small children. And guess what? Small children need to be with other small children. And I'm not afraid they're going to get sick because they are small children. My parents are 65. I talked to several doctors, and what they suggested is when my parents come over, my parents should socially distance outside, and they should be wearing N95 masks. And my parents are doing that. Is that fun for them? No. But is it is it smart to completely isolate my kids for all of time? I don't think so either. So I want the best of both worlds, which in, at this point means protect my parents, but make sure that my kids can also do the things they need to do. Here's Dr. Burks. But more importantly, if you're in multi-generational households and you're an outbreak in your rural area or in your city, you need to really consider wearing a mask at home, assuming that you're positive if you have individuals in your households with comorbidities. This epidemic right now is different and it's wide. It's more widespread and it's both rural and urban. Okay, so again, she is right about this with regard to the people with comorbidities. If my parents were not over, I would not be wearing a mask. My wife would not be wearing a mask. We're in our house. I would be with my children not wearing a mask because I am 36 and my wife is a few years younger than I am. She's a couple years younger than I am. So th- this is, again, people are taking this as everybody panic and freak out. Okay, then Dr. Brooks suggested the COVID death toll could hit 300,000 by the end of the year. That would be horrifying, obviously. That'd be a terrible, terrible number. It would also be necessary to break that down by age so we actually know how many excess deaths we have experienced on an age-based level. And what is your risk? Again, the big question here is not how many people are gonna suffer. That's, a, that's a, an important, important question. But the real question is, what is your personal risk in going back to work. That's the stuff the public health experts should be talking about. No one, I would venture to say, the number of Americans who understand numbers like 300,000, you know, if there are 300,000 deaths. If you ask the average American, how many people die a day in the United States? Nobody knows that answer. The answer, by the way, is 7,500. About 7,500 Americans die every day in the United States, which is a pretty large number of Americans. I mean, what that means is essentially that every single year in the United States, 2.7 million people die. Okay, but 
Burks, when, when Burke says the COVID death toll could hit 300,000, you just look at that number in isolation. You think you can translate that to risk in your head. That's not how it works. Here's Dr. Deborah Burks talking about the overall number of deaths. Dr. Burks, you, you mentioned deaths. The former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, said the U.S. coronavirus death toll could double to 300,000 deaths by the end of the year. Do you think that's possible? Anything is possible if we don't have all, you know, public health is called public health because it has a public component. And we need all of the public to help us get us control of this virus. Yeah, and again, you know, the, the notion that, you know, the, the, the notion that simply stating raw numbers or putting out vague data like, well, it could, something bad could happen, that, that is not helpful, not in the slightest. Scott Gottlieb, who again has been a guest on the show. These people have been guests on my shows, okay? So I really respect their opinions. And they have more data than I am, which is why it's very frustrating when I feel like the data they are conveying is actually less specific than the data they've conveyed on my own shows. And honestly, some of that I got to put on the media who are not asking the only questions that people truly care about. What is the risk to me? What is the risk to my children by age, by comorbidity? How do we not have that information? What is the risk of various personal activities? Why is it that in order for you to hear whether surfaces are transmitting this thing, you're not getting that on Face the Nation. You're getting that on this show. The answer is not much. When it comes to schooling, why is it that the only people who are discussing at length the studies are not the people at CNN who are just writing stupid chirons? It's people like me who are actually looking at the studies from Switzerland and Iceland and Australia. I mean, here's Scott Gottlieb saying we need to treat, treat teachers as frontline workers. We have to think of teachers as frontline workers. Again, all of that is fine, but the notion that teachers are at inordinate risk of contracting this thing from children is nuts. Teachers are at more risk of getting this thing from going out to like a normal restaurant and eating indoors than they are, of getting it from kids by virtually all available data. Here's Scott Gottlieb. So there's anecdotes and experiences on both sides of this debate. I think to, to counsel enough caution that if we do reopen schools, and I think we should try to, and I think many parts of the country will have that opportunity, we should take every precaution to try to prevent outbreaks. And that also includes protecting teachers. Teachers need to be thought of as frontline workers in these situations and given, given proper protective equipment and ways to keep themselves safe in the classroom. Okay, there are ways that if you are particularly vulnerable, that is the case. But how about this? How about this? How about for the moment, the teachers unions stop at their crap and let a bunch of younger people in the classroom to teach. And if you're worried, then zoom into the classroom, as my friend John Podhoritz suggested. Now, the reason that I've, I've gone on about this for so long here is because there's this push now for new lockdowns by a variety of different sources. And there are people who are suggesting lockdowns. And then as an economic solution, they are suggesting that we just pay endless amounts of money. None of this is a solution. None of this is what was preached at the beginning. The goalposts have shifted so wildly at this point. And if you think that the vaccine is coming from heaven to save you, if you think that one day we're all just going to wake up and the vaccine is going to be ready and it's going to be January 2021 and the entire American population is just going to be vaccinated and boom, this is no longer a threat on the horizon as opposed to this sort of becomes background noise. I don't know what to tell you. Even the Washington Post doesn't have your, isn't going to hold your hand on that one. I'll explain in just one second. First, with everything going on right now, lots of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. The answer is yes. It is still easy to shop for life insurance right now. In fact, if you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. Right now, you could save 1500 bucks or more a year using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, the savings really do start to add up. So what exactly is Policy Genius? Well, it's an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts. Here's how it works. You head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need. You can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. Step two, you apply for the lowest possible price. And step three, the Policy Genius team handles everything. Paperwork, red tape, soup to nuts. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything for you. 
They even have policies that allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google as well. So if you need life insurance, head on over to policygenius.com right now, get started. It could save 1,500 bucks or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice to get it right. All righty, we're going to get to more of this in just one second. Even the Washington Post is like, guys, if you're waiting for a vaccine, you could be waiting for a while. But first, if you are not yet a Daily Wire All Access member, you are missing out, gang. All Access, it's our most exclusive membership tier, featuring behind-the-scenes access to us, the podcast hosts, as well as writers and special guests. All Access members are also given early access to new Daily Wire products. As part of that, I'm excited to announce our brand new limited count collector's edition baseball bat. Oh, yeah, this is a real thing. This is a real thing, guys. Check that out. Look at that. Right there, engraved Daily Wire on that. In collaboration with Pillbox, that company, you can metaphorically destroy arguments using this bat. Also, you can hit baseballs with it because baseball is indeed the greatest sport, no matter what MLB does to try and social justice warrior its way out of being America's national pastime. This bat, it is handcrafted here in the United States, emblazoned with the Daily Wire logo. This run of bats will each be engraved with the individual number in the order they were produced from 1 to 100. These bats currently only being offered to our all-access membership tier. So join or upgrade now before they are all gone. Text the keyword BASEBALL to 83400. We'll send you the link to check out this limited collector's edition bat. If you're not yet an all-access member, coupon code ACCESS will get you 20% off right now. All-access members also get to participate in all-access live where one of our Daily Wire hosts hangs out with you for a live discussion yesterday. Very special live stream. The Daily Wire's own Jeremy Boring, who's a space nut, watched the return of the SpaceX Dragon capsule and crew with all-access members, host a discussion with them afterward. Again, text keyword BASEBALL to 83400 to purchase your collector's edition bat. Get 20% off all access right now with coupon code ACCESS. That is BASEBALL to 83400 and coupon code ACCESS. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty, so... The reason I'm focusing on this is because the status quo is not sustainable. Okay, we can't just keep spending money like this. We cannot keep pumping out trillions of dollars in cash we don't have. We cannot pay people to stay out of work. This is not the way that a free economy runs. It is not the way a free country runs, frankly. And let's be honest. The reason that you saw millions of people in the streets over George Floyd, I would hazard to say some of that was about real do-gooderism by a small group of people. And some of it was You locked us in our homes for three months, and then you told us that we are doing good for the world by partying in the streets. If you look at the video, half of it was a party. People were doing yoga classes. People were doing dance parties, and they were being lauded for it by the media. And it was all young people. And then you had a spike among young people. And you know what? Maybe in the end, that's not such a bad thing. A bunch of young people got it and got better. Maybe that brings us closer to herd immunity. Maybe it does. Maybe that ain't all a bad thing. Okay, but there's this idea out there that if we just wait for a vaccine. So remember, this thing started as flatten the curve to not overwhelm the system. So we did that. Then it became, well, you know, we want slow spread so we don't overwhelm the system. Okay, so we mostly did that. Then it turned into, okay, what if we just crush the virus with lockdowns? Not going to happen, gang. Again, you're comparing apples to oranges when you look at at places that never had a high level of seeding in the first place. If you look at a country that only had a couple of cases, or if you look at a country that had the Asian strain of this pandemic as opposed to the European strain of this pandemic, there are two strains, one is much more infectious. Then you you are comparing apples to oranges. And by the way, even in many of the places that originally had only the Asian strain, now the European strain has been reimported and you're seeing case growth. But is the vaccine going to save us all? According to the Washington Post, quote, in the public imagination, the arrival of a coronavirus vaccine looms large. 
It's the neat Hollywood ending to the grim, agonizing uncertainty of everyday life in a pandemic. But public health experts are discussing amongst themselves a new worry, that hopes for a vaccine may be soaring too high. The confident depiction by politicians and companies that a vaccine is imminent and inevitable may give people unrealistic beliefs about how soon the world can return to normal and could lead to resistance to simple strategies that can damp down transmission and save lives in the short term. I would also say that if you are if you are of the belief a vaccine is absolutely imminent, this will also lead you to believe that you can hide in your home and be paid by the government until the vaccine comes. I, I have, by the way, I have much more faith in therapeutics than I do in vaccine. I have a lot of faith in therapeutics. We've already seen the hospital death rate drop by like 80%, according to Oxford, because of drugs like remdesivir, because of simple tactics like not using ventilators nearly as often, by using, by, by, by using machines that can measure your oxygen levels as soon as you get into the hospital so we know faster exactly what is going on with you. And there are certain treatments that have just gotten better. There are new therapeutics that are set to come online. I know Israel is examining a therapeutic right now that's already FDA approved that they say could theoretically reduce the impact of coronavirus down to essentially a common cold, which would mean this is, this is over. You know, there, there, there are therapeutics that could come along here, but counting on the vaccine is like the magic day. That is a mistake. According to the Washington Post, two coronavirus vaccines entered the final stages of human testing last week, a scientific speed record that prompted top government health officials to utter words such as historic and astounding. Pharmaceutical executives predicted to Congress in July that vaccines may be available as soon as October or before the end of the year. As the plot line advances, so do expectations. If people can just muddle through a few more months, the vaccine will land, the pandemic will end, everyone can throw their masks away. But best case scenarios have not materialized throughout the pandemic and experts foresee a long path ahead. Yonatan Grad, an assistant professor of infectious diseases and immunology at Harvard University T.H. Chan School of Public Health says, it seems to me unlikely that a vaccine is an off switch or a reset button or you go back to pre-pandemic times. Or as Columbia University virologist Angela Rasmussen puts it, it's not like we're going to a land in Oz. The declaration that a vaccine has been shown safe and effective will be the beginning, not an end. Deploying the vaccine to people in the U.S. and around the world will test and strain distribution networks, the supply chain, public trust, global cooperation. It will take months or more likely years to reach enough people to make the world safe. For those who do get a vaccine, as soon as shots become available, protection won't be immediate. It takes weeks for the immune system to call up full platoons of disease-fighting antibodies. Many vaccine technologies will require a second shot weeks after the first to raise immune defenses. Immunity could be short-lived or partial. Well, then it seems to me that the media's focus on the vaccine and the idea that a vaccine is going to be the be-all, end-all has been deeply irresponsible, has it not? I mean, it's, it seems like maybe we should have known this up front so that we can make provision for the now. Would that not be a smart thing to do? You know, a vaccine that, that mainly lessens the severity of the disease might be directed at older people and others at, great, at, ri- at greatest risk for the worst outcomes. One that prevents infections well but doesn't work as well in older people might be directed to younger people. We just don't know is the bottom line. According to Paul Offit, director of the Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, he says, if you're talking about throwing arms around each other, sitting with 67,000 people at a Philadelphia Eagles game, I'd imagine that would take a couple of years, a couple of years. Again, the, the notion that we are going to be like, ever, we're going to be locked down until magical vaccine comes is just not correct. It is just not right. You know who knows it's just not right? The German population. So there's been a lot of talk about the, uh, the evils of anti-lockdown protests in the United States. You saw this from the media. The, these, look at these barbarian anti-lockdown protesters who are only losing their life savings and their businesses and their feelings of, of empowerment and, and freedom in the United States. Those are those crazy people. By the way, 15,000 restaurants apparently have now shut and will not reopen. That is a lot of dead dreams right there. That is a lot of unemployed people. 
But, but if you protested in the United States, the media declared that you just wanted to kill grandma. If you protested for George Floyd, based on the statistical anomaly George Floyd represented, and based on the idea that black people are an existential threat in the United States, the media celebrated you while you violated all pandemic rules. If you went to grandma's funeral, then you were selfish. If you went to celebrate John Lewis's life, you were good because John Lewis is an important figure. If you went to a funeral for grandma, then you were very, very bad. And mostly, if you're an anti-lockdown protester, you were basically akin to a terrorist because you were stumping for grandma to die. Okay, so what do you make of Berlin exactly? According to the BBC, around 20,000 people joined the Berlin protest on Saturday. Organizers had billed the event as a day of freedom from Germany's restrictive lockdown measures. That includes a mandatory masking order. Protesters, the outlet noted, carry signs that said things like, we are being forced to wear a muzzle because of the mask mandate. A seemingly surprised BBC, according to Daily Wire, said some participants were from the far right. Some were conspiracy theorists who don't believe that COVID-19 exists. Others were ordinary people who simply object to the government's approach to the pandemic. By the way, you can always tell by the media coverage which side they are on. Right? When, it's a, when it's a protest that breaks into riots that shut down all of Los Angeles County for a week, it's mostly peaceful. When there's an anti-lockdown protest that contains a few nuts carrying I don't believe in COVID-19 signs, then you, you lead with that. Few of the marchers wore masks or maintained strict social distancing in accordance with Germany's anti-coronavirus restrictions. Police broke up the protest. There is a, an uptick in Germany that is happening right now. There's an uptick in Spain as well. The Wall Street Journal pointed out that there's been an uptick in Spain. They reported 2,255 new cases on Friday following the report of 2,615 new cases on Thursday. And again, just like in the United States, it's mostly affecting younger people. So... People are not meant to live like this, nor will they live like this. Now, the media, the media are, in, are in a comfortable perch. Most members of the media, they live in bubbles. I know because I'm a member of the media. You can create a bubble around yourself. You're mostly dealing with other people who have the capacity to lock down. You never have to deal with the proletariat, you know, the people who take buses to work. You, know, you don't have to deal with those people. And so if those people lose their jobs, well, you know, we always have government programs for them. This is how you end up with Martha Raddatz on ABC News, challenging Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. Steve Mnuchin said... If you keep paying people $600 a week not to work, they're not going to work. And uh, Martha Raddatz is like, are you really, really? You think they're just going to stay home? Yes, that's called an incentive, Martha. Here's Martha Raddatz not understanding basic human rationales. There's no question in certain cases where we're paying people more to work, stay home than to work. That's created issues in the entire economy. But let me just say, you have to look I, I wanna, at all I want to interrupt things. you there for just one second. You, it's not all the evidence. A Yale study from this month refutes that, saying many economists who have studied the benefits said that so far they don't see any evidence in labor market data that the payments are affecting the rate at which people are returning to work during the pandemic. Well, I mean, I don't even know how you would measure that. It's not affecting the rate to which at which people return to work. First of all, there are a lot of people I know who have not received their unemployment checks yet. I know them. Right? They're eligible for it. They haven't gotten the checks and they still have to make the rent. So there's that. Also, it is true. A lot of these businesses have not fully reopened. But one of the reasons they haven't fully reopened is because they can't staff up and because of the lockdowns. And Nancy Pelosi went even further. She claims that people will actually actively forego $600 per week to make $300 per week. So if the government offers you 600 bucks a week, you're gonna be like, you know what? Government, keep your money. I'm gonna go to work anyway for 300 bucks a week. Nancy Pelosi, crazy person on ABC's This Week. But it's essential for America's working families. And, and again, to condescend, to disrespect their motivation is so amazing how, how uh, uh, 
insistent the Republicans are about a working family and their $600 and how cavalier they are about other money that is going out. Okay, she's an insane person. That's not, that's not looking down on working families. If somebody offered me more money to stay home than to work, I would stay home, wouldn't you? That's just basic human nature. Because why the hell would I work when I can stay home? It's more fun to stay home, mostly. So, you know, this is, but again, this, this is the narrative. The narrative is you can stay home forever until there's a vaccine and the government will pay you. Which seems to me mostly political and having nothing to do with actual reality. Meanwhile, by the way, things that you are allowed to do in the streets are you can burn crap and apparently rob people. So this is exciting. So over the weekend, Minneapolis police told people they informed residents of the third precinct to prepare to surrender their belongings. According to a July 28th email provided to Alpha News Minnesota, also provided to the Daily Wire, the Minneapolis Police Department offered prevention tips to residents hoping to avoid being a victim of the skyrocketing cases of robbery and carjacking that have plagued the city since George Floyd's death in May. The email says robberies and carjackings have increased in the precinct. Cell phones, purses, and vehicles are being targeted. Some victims have been maced, dragged, assaulted, and some threatened with a gun. Downtown and southwest Minneapolis have seen an increase as well. We want those who live and work here to be safe. The email then goes on to list several tips that citizens can supposedly use to protect themselves, which also includes, like, just giving robbers what they want. Don't fight with the criminal. Do as they say. Also, never leave anything of value in your car. So well done, everybody. Everything is going incredibly, incredibly well. Meanwhile, the Portland rioters got wilder as some of the feds started to withdraw from Portland over the weekend. Fox News reported more than 150 rounds were fired. One woman was shot in Portland Friday night while protesters on Saturday, some of whom appeared to impersonate press, threw glass bottles and shined lasers at city police officers sent to quell the nighttime unrest witnessed for more than two months straight. Some members of the media tried to pretend that this wasn't happening. The New York Times' Nicholas Kristof claimed that peace had broken out. Mostly peacefulness. Peacefulness intensifying everywhere. Our wonderful media telling you that lockdowns are possible forever. We can continue to just pay money. And also riots don't exist that are a figment of your imagination. Meanwhile, by the way, anarchists in Portland finally got to what they've actually wanted to do for a while. They were just burning copies of the Bible. Book burning. They're they're really just going for it now. They burned an American flag and they burned books. These are the good guys, according to the media. These are the ones who are standing for the sort of change America needs to see. Burning the Bible. I'm sure this is all going to end perfectly, perfectly well. Okay, so what implications does all of this have for for the election? Well, here's the thing. President Trump has a lot that he can run on. It's going to require him to actually be focused, as I've been saying, for a while. But it seems like there's a new movement out there, and it's, it's a very weird, odd, strange movement. And that is to cosplay revolution. Uh, over the weekend, there's this new narrative that has emerged, and it's real weird, and it's a little scary, of Democrats and members of the media suggesting that if Trump doesn't win, he's going to be forced to leave by the military. And it's like at this point, they're sort of rooting for a revolution. Now, listen, I, I think that it was idiotic and, and horrible of Trump last week to essentially suggest that we should postpone the election or that he could postpone the election. That was idiotic, obviously. But do I really believe that if Trump loses, he ain't going to vacate the White House and we're going to end with like an armed standoff at the White House, a la the coup in in the Soviet Union against Mikhail Gorbachev or something? Like, is that that where I think this is going? No, I don't think this is where this is going. But Democrats seem like eager for this. James Clyburn, who's very, very radical over the weekend, congressman from South Carolina, saying that if Trump loses, he's not going to peacefully transfer power. It's as though they're rooting for for chaos and, and... dissolution. I believe very strongly that this guy 
never had an idea about being one to peacefully transfer power. I don't think he plans to leave uh, the White House. He doesn't plan to have fair and unfettered elections. Okay, this is crazy talk. But if this is, if you have created such a villain in the president of the United States that it allows you to say lockdown forever, if it allows you to say that kneeling for the national anthem is good and burning flags is good and burning Bibles is good and that he's such a threat to democracy, he's never going to leave the White House. I mean, that does allow you to get away with nearly anything. April Ryan, journalist, journalist, pseudo journalist. She said over the weekend that Trump, she also put this out there, that Trump won't leave. I and mean, what, what, a, what a journalistic hero is April Ryan. When, when Trump went after her, obviously he was only going after her on the basis of race, not on the fact, not on the basis of the fact that she's a garbage journalist. Here's April Ryan. Uh, Maya Angelou said, if they show you who they are, believe them. The president has said before in many tweets that he wasn't going. He said it months ago. Joe Biden even mm. acknowledged it. And it's real. So there's going to be a split screen on January 20th, 2021. If Joe Biden is now going to be the 46th president of the United States, you will have him being inaugurated and, and, and watching police and armed forces trying to pull Donald Trump out of the White House. I cannot wait for that split screen. Uh, I, no, no wonder she can't wait for that, that split screen. Again, this is, the, this is the fantasy the Democrats are living in. Because if Donald Trump is the kind of guy who needs to be pulled out of the White House this way, it justifies all the nastiness, all the bad policy, all the nonsense that's been going on the last few months in the United States. There's only one problem. Trump ain't that. And even and and the situation in the United States right now is is untenable, no matter who is in the White House. Okay, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. A lot I did not have a chance to get to. This is why you should subscribe over at DailyWire.com. Meanwhile, go check out a copy of my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Huge national bestseller. It has sold over a hundred thousand copies in various venues in in various forms so far. You can read it. I think it's a really vital read at this point in time. Go check it out right now. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show... It's not just another show about about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where Preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. 
If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.